Mad Rock Thrills and Chills Month. <laughs> Welcome back to the Dad and Rock Podcast. This is Sean. And this is Chris. Hey, we're back here again, cruising through October, cruising through the cheesy in October. What have you been up to? <laughs> uh, you know, going into the wrong bathroom. Uh Oh, just jump right. Let's just just jump right into it. <laughs> I've been teasing you about this story, and I know it's like it's gold. Yeah. So we go to the zoo often. I mean, that's we pretty much a given. Yeah. And uh, we decide to do this thing called a, a twilight tour. Okay. So basically, what it is is you pay a little fee, and you get six people in the one we have. And after the zoo closes, you get a, a private tour of the zoo. So you see all the animals after dark. Oh wow! Which was which was really cool. So we got there a little early so the kids can see their normal up front, like their seals and their stingrays and things that in the front of the zoo. So when we get there, we're there with my in-laws. And the first thing we always do, it's an hour and a half drive. We stop at the restrooms. We all go to the you know, restroom, get ready, get things rolling. And I'm like, eh, I'll go. And I paid no attention to which one I walked into. I walk into the restroom. I'm looking down. I walk, I'm walking in. I'm looking. I'm like, where the hell are all this, you know, the urinals? There's no uh, urinals here. Yeah. I've never paid any attention before because I never went into that one. Right. And I'm like, nah, no big deal. I'm just going to go into one. I'm just going to go. <laughs> so I pop in the stall, start going. I look down to my left and I see a, a little trash can for women's, you know, things. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> and I'm midstream. I can't stop. Yeah. <laughs> And I, ba- I don't even wash my hands. I jump out of that bathroom as fast as I can, go right across to the guy's bathroom, wash my hands. I am walking back out to Janessa and uh, my father-in-law and everyone. I'm just kind of shaking my head laughing. I'm like, oh, my God, did I really just do did this? Did they notice that you were in the wrong one? Well, Uh-oh. I wasn't in there by myself, come to find out. My mother-in-law was in there, too. Oh, my Lord. Yeah, so she comes out. And she's like, this reminds she used to work for the government. Yeah. And she's like, uh, I just had an incident happen in there. Like, um, it used to happen every now and then, you know, working back at you know, with the government that they, they had the general neutral. So a guy can go into women's room if he identified with being a woman. Oh, wow. They were uh, progressive, huh? Yeah. And she's like, that's just kind of happened. Then I heard the voice. <laughs> and I'm like, I recognize that voice. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah, that was me. She just starts dying. What were you like singing in the stall or something? No, I just kind of voice. Well, well, when I first walked in, I was like, "Man, this where are the urinals?" I've got, you I, I said, said it out loud. loud. <laughs> oh man! And then I kind of just did my whole thing. Then I, re- I think, then I went, "Oh crap!" <laughs> that was well loud enough for anyone that was in there to hear it. Wow! And then I bolted. Oh crap! Is right. <laughs> I was like, I need to get out of here. <laughs> of all the people in the world, your mother-in-law to be witness to it—that's terrific. Yeah, she was in there. The whole- I was like, oh my god, this will be a story that is going to go. It's going to stick around for a while. <laughs> that's gross. <laughs> <laughs> I figured you'd get a kick out of that. You're I lucky was, you um, didn't scare any uh, other ladies that happened to be in there. Well, they may have scared the crap out of them. I would never know. <laughs> Oh, man. Oh, but yeah, I mean, outside of that happening, I mean, the the golf tour, golf cart tour in the evening was uh, was awesome. Honestly, seeing like, you know, the animals with no crowds at all. There's no one in there besides maybe another couple tours. Yeah, after sunset. Yeah, so you're going around, you're seeing animals. Not only are you seeing them, but you're with someone that's giving you the tour. Yeah. So they're actually giving you facts about the animals and when they, you know, when they're doing things. 
uh, some things that they're not currently doing because of COVID and, uh, and money issues on how they're not getting enough like people in the zoo to actually fund certain things. Right. I mean, it was a great time. I enjoyed it. I mean, it'd be something that I would su- suggest maybe even doing again at some point. And this is something new that they're doing because of COVID, because people aren't really comfortable going to the zoo with all the people. Yeah. Do you think they'll continue doing it? Uh, I don't know. I hope so. I mean, I feel like it was something that was beneficial. I mean, even she said we were making the tour easy for her because we love the, uh, the secrets of the zoo, Columbus Zoo. Right. On TV. So we're asking questions that are like directed around that and specifically about things. And so there's a lot of things that she didn't have to tell us that we kind of already knew and, you know, going into it. Yeah. You guys were already fans. Yeah. It was, uh, it was pretty funny. She actually pulled us into an area where I think they typically don't go because she showed us actually where like the, uh, the vet hospital and everything was where they take all the animals. Oh, wow. So if you go like behind the elephants, which is, there was a cart path and everything there, but she kind of stopped in between like the trees and there's another fence. You can actually see the hospital that they take all the animals to when there's something happening typically or, you know, it's an exam or anything you will see normally on the show. Hmm. That's pretty cool that she went ahead and did that for you guys. Yeah. I mean, we were, we were very, very pleased. And to come to find out, she was actually a volunteer. She wasn't even getting paid. No kidding. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we were, uh, we, we tipped her generously just because how, how great she was during the, uh, the whole ordeal. Zoos have got to be just some of the hardest hit. I mean, any kind of public venues, airlines, I know are getting smacked right now. Yeah. Um, so there's just a ton of industries out there that are hurting because they just can't bring the normal uh, quantity of people in. So Well, they said uh, we called it over the uh, the walkie-talkie, like the total number for the day. Yeah. Uh, they opened up at, I think, at 9 till 5. Mm-hmm. And their total people in the, in the zoo as a whole were, were uh, I think it said 3,000 people. Oh, wow. Which, if you think about it, that's not much for an, an environment like that. Oh, for sure. We, we did all that. And what happens the next day is it was probably about 7 o'clock. One of our smoke detectors went off. Again, it went off. Like, like it just went off. Like, not like a beep, like a battery's dying. Yeah. It, it literally went off. And I've never heard one actually just kind of go off before. Unless it was kind of like a, you know, you're cooking type situation. And then it went off. Like, it turned off. I'm like, okay, that was weird. And then not even a minute later, it goes off again. And at this time, I wasn't a part of like putting the smoke detectors and everything up. And the one that went off, I was always under the impression that it was a CO2 and a fire smoke detector. Oh, okay. So it was a combo. I was always a combo. Uh-huh. So when there was no smoke, obviously, I'm thinking CO2. That's why it, it's going off. Right. Clear the house. Yeah. I got the kids. got the dogs out back. Janessa took the kids to the store just to get them out of the house. Right. I dialed 911 to get them up here. So I'm out front waiting for him. You know, the truck, you know, fire truck pulls up. Luckily, his lights and sirens weren't going, making a big hoopla out of everything. The fire truck just snuck up. <laughs> yeah. He, he just drove up. This is normal headlights on. I'm like, well, that's kind of incognito. <laughs> but yeah, they came in. Everything was fine. And I didn't know this. And this may be something that you may be learning here as well. Smoke detectors and like CO2 uh, detectors yeah. have a lifespan on them. Smoke detectors is only 10 years. Oh, yeah. If they're older than 10 years, you're supposed to replace them. I had no idea. And he thinks just that one unit that went off, it's only a smoke detector. So it's not a combo unit like I thought it was, which was unnerving to me. But it hit its lifespan. And basically, it malfunctioned on me. Oh, wow. So we were all good. And he gave us a new CO2 uh, detector, which we had one. But it it flat out on it, it says replaced by 16. Oh, I got you. Oh, I didn't know they had a lifespan. So we're in the process of looking at replacing all of our smoke detectors in the house and uh, I think we got I think we got some of them that are actually the combos. So Excellent. being on the safe side. Oh, good. Well, that's something we actually have in common this week. I went ahead and uh, our new house has a fireplace. 
And before I lit anything in it, I wanted to have it inspected just to make sure that there weren't any clogs or, you know, sometimes they just aren't usable for whatever reason. People just kind of cap them or shut them down. So I had a guy come over uh, Saturday morning. And luckily for me, this guy was willing to come over on a Saturday because I called around to a bunch of companies and they're pretty much booked like a month in advance right now because, you know, Ooh, tis wow. the season. People are yeah. starting to light fires in their ha- fires in their fireplace and stuff. <laughs> they're burning the houses down. Apparently, <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> But yeah, it, my fireplace, uh, it got a clean bill of health, and it's uh, apparently the guy was like, man, this thing's immaculate. If I had this fireplace, I'd light a fire every night. So I was like, oh, heck yeah. So so, so no bats or animals living in it? and No, yeah, thank goodness. It was ready to go. So I got super excited. I ran up to Home Depot, and I got uh, firewood and some fire logs, and I also got a couple new combo smoke detectors, smoke and carbon monoxide detectors. Uh, installed them fresh new in the living room so they should be good for 10 years they're brand new as of this week <laughs> so that's funny that you and i had our own uh fire related activities with you no were, fire you were making a fire i was afraid it was fire happening <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now is it a gas fireplace or is it a wood fireplace no it's wood oh that's awesome yeah i don't care if it's a little dirty i want i want the real thing don't give me that gas thing oh yeah yeah it's all wood burning fireplace so i learned how to like open up the flue and um i went and got some uh fireplace tools you know the poker and the little claw thing (laughs) and shovel and man i'm ready to go (laughs) now it's funny now right now with it being new you're like oh i want wood i bet you 10 years down the road like man i'm gonna cap that thing put a gas <laughs> thing in there and be done with it <laughs> yeah just turn it off just like uh the difference between grilling you know lighting up charcoal and just turning on the propane yeah exactly yeah yeah there's a difference but uh you're gonna pay for the difference just because of the nastiness yeah exactly well that's, that's, that's kind of funny well we're talking about fires here and uh you know this week we're gonna continue our thrills and chills here and uh our first movie we were actually talking about was going to be Fire in the Sky. So not in the fireplace, <laughs> but something up above us. Yes. No smoke alarms are going to help these guys, this crew. Yeah, no. No, no. This was, and this was made back in, what, 93? Yeah. It was? 93. Uh, a year after Terminator 2, Robert Patrick, uh, the T-1000, is back and dressed in flannel <laughs> with a little mustache. <laughs> uh, maybe unrecognizable. I don't know. Did you recognize him? I had no idea. Yeah, it was. I the, d- it uh, didn't even dawn on me. I wouldn't, and I think if you didn't point it out, I would have never known. Yeah, it's one of the first things I noticed is the cast in this movie. It's just got a really good cast. It's got James Garner and uh, Robert Patrick, who we mentioned before, and some other like character actors where you probably like know their face from all sorts of like supporting roles in '90s movies. But um, I don't know. It's just. Uh, Really well done movie, but I'll give you a brief synopsis here. An Arizona logger mysteriously disappears for five days in an alleged encounter with a flying saucer in 1975. His co-workers endure ridicule and contempt as they are wrongly accused of murder. Murder. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> and it's uh, loosely based on a true story. I like how it's, you know, everything is loosely based on a true story. <laughs> yeah, this is uh, our second one. Amityville, too, right? was kind of loosely uh, based on a true story. Yeah, yeah. Loosely, you no, know, we're going to throw little things in here and there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, what, I mean, going into this, did you remember anything about the movie before you watched it again? Or I did remember. I remember I saw this as a kid, and really... The, the things that I remember most is the actual moment where he gets zapped by the, the light underneath the spaceship. And, and then the glimpses, the flashes of these aliens kind of looking at him, looking like little old men, like dragging him through the spaceship. I remember that. And I remember just being scared of this movie as a kid. 
And rewatching it as an adult, I, I realized why it was. There are parts of this where just are scary. <laughs> well, the timing of this movie too, what came out when there uh, the phenomenon of crop uh, crop circles yes. were happening. Uh, the, the the TV show Sightings was on, like right before Unsolved Murders. Or yeah, Aliens are hot. And speaking yeah. of Robert Patrick, I mean, the X Files were just about to start up, if not started up already. Robert Patrick was eventually a cast member on there, but yeah, I mean, Aliens were in the zeitgeist around that time for sure. So yeah, I was I was playing on all things. I remember seeing it as well, and I seen this along with a uh, another movie that we'll be doing thing next weekend, Cat Out of the Bag, Children of the Corn. So I watched these two movies back to back. At my grandparents' house in one of these old, like, Victorian houses. And I was sleeping on the couch. Yeah. And I will never forget that the furnace, not the furnace, but the actual, um, uh, the radio would kick on. And you hear the click, click. Yeah, and all that, yeah. And all the little noises those houses would make. Yep. I remember being scared to death. <laughs> and I'll never forget, like, just that, that night and being so scared after watching these two movies. Yeah, how old were we when this... We would have been about 10 years old when this movie came out. So, yeah, it would certainly be scary for a 10-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I watched a lot of crappy movies. Well, I shouldn't say crappy. A lot of scary movies when I was younger. Me too. I asked Janessa, I said, did you watch either of these movies? She's like, no, I wasn't allowed to. I'm like, well, I mean, what kind of upbringing did I have? <laughs> <laughs> you and me both, brother. We're in the same vein. I used to be scared of Michael Myers outside my window before you and I even met. <laughs> so it was just one of those things. Oh boy, yeah. So uh, this one here, I mean, really, it starts with uh, almost like a scene that's like fifteen to twenty minutes into the movie, where they're like racing down a hill, yeah, in their truck after everything took place, and they're they're just gone. They run into that restaurant that you know at the base of the mountain there, and everyone knows them, and they go in there and they make a pact that we're all we're going to do this, we're going to make the call, we're all going to stick to it, and that's when it kind of goes back a little bit to move itself forward. Yeah, it, the setting is kind of this, you know, small town in Arizona. These guys, they're a um, lumberjack crew that was hired on by the government to clear uh, space out in the uh, near the mountain there. And flashes back a little bit. You, you get to know a little bit of backstory about how these guys relate to each other, what their relationships were like. And uh, that was uh, something that surprised me, too. And so, well, I guess something that I kind of remembered as I'm watching it. But this was... More like a, a kind of a character piece as well as being a, a horror movie. I mean, it's it was almost like a half small town drama, half science fiction horror. It was like kind of a weird, cool mix that I don't really see much of. Yeah, no, it's almost like cutting two mo- two movies. The yeah. second half it was all about the abduction. Yeah, the first half was all about the accusations that they 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 killed their buddy. Yeah, and I enjoyed both parts. Pretty thoroughly. Yeah, I mean, it was, what I really enjoyed was the interaction uh, between uh, the, the character Dallas yeah. and Travis. Yeah. Because those two, I mean, they were not in, knocking heads in the very beginning. And, I mean, he was just kind of a wild card. You never knew what he was going to do, what he was going to say. So, I mean, th- his character was probably one of the more enjoyable ones for me. For me, too, for sure. Uh, I liked Travis. Just every, everybody kind of had their own thing. I mean, there was the guy who was wearing sort of the Southwestern apparel and he had the radio with him all the time. And then there was the other guy that was kind of the church going goody two shoes with the glasses. You, you know, you knew the townspeople would typically take his word. And that's a point that Dallas makes later in the movie. It's like, hey, this guy is missing and I'm I'm the only one here with a record. I'm the, I'm the drifter. So, you know, they're yeah. going to try to pin this on me, which, you know, I got it. <laughs> that's why he was so salty about the whole thing, because he knew at the end of the day, it wasn't going to be these guys who were like, pillars of the community that were going to get fingered for this thing. It was him. And the reason, you know, everyone's so suspicious is, you know, Travis disappears. And then we get to go back and see, you know, the whole process of, you know, they're driving down the street or the, or the, the road, which is down the side of the yeah. mountain. 
and they see like the fire. The sky's on fire. It's just glowing red. And apparently there's fires in the area or something like that. So they knew of that possibility. But they think that they may not be able to get out and they have to stay the night. And they pull up and Travis tells them to stop. And then he, for some ungodly known reason, he decides to get out and get closer and walk up and take a look at this. You know, it looked like a saucer with like an egg coming out of it at the bottom. Just kind of, just kind of creepy looking. Yeah, it was really cool effects for the time. I mean, 93, it, you know, you kind of remember Jurassic Park and it was kind of the dawn of CG effects. I don't think any of this was CG. I think it was all practical, but it was done really well. Like I, I bought it even now. I think the effects kind of held up, honestly. But tra- that was kind of in Travis's character. When he's first introduced, he's kind of riding his motorcycle uh, through the street in the morning and, you know, causing a ruckus. It was just kind of a big goofball. Getting the donuts. Yeah, getting, grabbing donuts. <laughs> and he has a relationship with uh, Robert Patrick, Mike Rogers, uh, his character's sister. And they're best friends. I mean, he he's kind of a dreamer, right? He's He says he's going to start a new business, a motorcycle company with his buddy Mike. and MT showrooms or something like that. Yeah, he's a dreamer. He's a free spirit. He's just kind of a goofball. So when these five guys... Uh, you know, stop in the middle of the road and see this strange thing that's just in the middle of this field. Like, he's the one that hops out and he's got to get a closer look. Well, then everything happens and they're like, uh, Dallas is like, no, he got out of the car. We got to go. We got to leave. I mean, look, man, he's dead. Yeah. They thought he was dead when the the light hit him and knocked him back. Yeah. And then they took off. Then immediately, Mike felt bad. Sure. They told all of them to get out and he turned around to go get him. And then he was gone. And he wasn't there. He was gone. Yeah. And that's where, like, okay, now what do we do? Said sets in. Yeah. And, um, you know, what do you do? That's what you're doing through the first part of this movie. You're kind of putting yourself in the shoes of these characters. Like, what if you were out in the wilderness with these guys and you know that the town is not going to believe this story? Oh, yeah, right. Okay. He got out of the truck and aliens just took him away. Sure, guys. You know, it didn't help that the kid, the youngest kid, the 17-year-old in the back had National Enquirer magazines in the back about alien abductions and stuff. It just seemed like oh, they were Oh, I didn't know up. that. Yeah. Well, James Garner later in the uh, movie, you know, he's the kind of the detective, the, the state, kind of like the statewide detective that they bring in to investigate the case. And James Garner was just, I mean... He, if you guys don't know him, he's he's an actor that's been in a ton of things. He has a very big voice, great presence. He was in a ton of comedies, dramas, westerns. James Garner's just like the man. He died a few years back. But yeah, he, he was in this movie and he, he happened to spot that, you know, these guys were reading the National Choir and then, then they actually give him the story. It's like they, they stick to it. They they actually tell the story. They don't make up some, you know, more palatable story where, you know, he ran off and we couldn't find him. Like they give him the whole shabeel. Like, look, we saw this craft in the middle of a field. A light knocked him over. We got scared. We came back. He wasn't there anymore. And they actually tell it. Yeah. And then also you start seeing like uh, the families of these guys start turning on him. Yeah. Mike Rogers' wife and everything. He starts staying staying in like in a motel to get away from it. I guess to keep the family kind of shielded from like all the paparazzi and everything. Yeah. And I mean, you start seeing his, you know, that failing Travis's wife starting to think that he was killed by his best friend. Yeah. So you see all these, you know, these townspeople uh, gathering basically in the church and what, what, asking, what do we do? How do we move forward? And they're asking the small town sheriff how to, you know, how to fix this. Right. And then all of a sudden you see him walk in he starts calling people out. It's like, I know you, I've been here with you, and just kind of points them all out and say, you know what? This was after they were, they were asked to do the lie detector test. Yeah. And at first they said no. And that, that sheriff, slimily enough, told you know the whole town that basically he thinks they're guilty because they're not going to do it. Yeah. So at that point, he pretty much puts his foot down and says, we're going to do it. And they get everyone out there. Boy, that one guy from out of town, 
and they do the test the next morning. And they all stick to their story, and they all pass. Uh, minus Dallas. Dallas was inconclusive, but he's, a, like we said before, he was a wild card. Yeah, he was skittery during that uh, during that read, for sure. But even, like, because they said since he was inconclusive, they weren't going to go ahead and say anything about the rest of them and have them all come back again the next day at 930. And that's when Mike was like, no, we came here once. We've cooperated. We're done. Yeah. Robert Patrick, Mike, the Mike Roger characters, Robert Patrick, he was awesome in this movie, dude. I think he carried the first part of this film because this yeah. first half of this film is a real centerpiece for these guys and the the struggle that they're going with for one. I mean, you feel for this character. He lo- He just lost his best friend. Like that in and of itself, you just lost your best friend out in the woods and you're putting that blame on yourself because you're the one that drove away and now he's gone. Mm -hmm. That in and of itself, you add on top of that, the fact that it's not like he was just like, you know, shot by some hunter or, you know, whatever. He's gone because of he ran off. He's gone because you actually saw an alien spacecraft zap him. (laughs) I mean, you add that and you add the third thing of just the town not believing a single word you're saying and you that you're home basically and all the people that you love and cherish your own family are coming down on you like you're some kind of murderer and robert patrick plays this thing like just awesome like that scene you're talking about when he goes in the church and he pretty much puts every the whole town in their place yeah um they have nothing to say to him after the fact they're just kind of like sheepishly kind of looking away man that was a great scene yeah because apparently he is like you're saying they're all like some type of respected in the community yeah apparently he was like a pillar right he was one that everyone went to everyone looked up to so when he was calling everybody out he was like you know what Enough's enough. Yeah, exactly. That was a great thing about this movie, just the relationship between these th- this crew, these guys. I kind of mentioned before these character actors that really never kind of start on things on their own, but uh, they, they play it so well here. Another casting thing I, I forgot to mention earlier, the, the kid that's with them, the one that was sitting in the back of the truck in the middle, the one that was reading the National Enquirer. Yeah. You may not recognize him because he was in an earlier movie back in 1982. Um, that actor is Henry Thomas. He actually played Elliot in E.T., all crowed up. How do you like oh, that connection? You. Another alien Man. movie. You're uh yeah, right. He's phoning home. <laughs> yeah, these are no ETs. They are not very friendly. Oh man, these guys were uh these guys were creepy. Yeah. We start to find out how bad they are in the second half of this movie. Oh, that's when it really kinda in- gets intense. Yeah. So basically the fifth day happens and all of a sudden Mike gets a phone call. Yeah. A collect call from Travis. Right. And he's like he's freaking out. He jumps in his truck. And Travis, like, he has Travis's brother or cousin or somebody with him. And they're, they're trying to find where he was at. And so they go one direction and he wasn't at that gas station. So he thinks there's another gas station the other direction. And they're like, there isn't anything here. There's no gas station or anything up this way. He's not driving, so he's not going to stop him. Yeah. So it's, I mean, it's raining, you know, the typical you know, storm's happening. <laughs> and uh, they find him just kind of balled up you know, naked in a ball. Next to, like, one of those ice containers. Oh, he's traumatized. Well, wouldn't you be? I mean, you'd be a mess. <laughs> yeah, well, we don't, as an audience, we don't really know exactly why yet. But we get to see exactly what he went through in those five days. And, yeah, it's pretty traumatizing. Oh, yeah, you start seeing flashbacks to when he's uh he's in, like, one of those pods. And I'm thinking, man, I don't like being in a sleeping bag upside down. Yeah. I would freak out. And then, you got all the gooeyness. And when he actually gets out of that, uh, like, little pod for the first time. Yeah. Oh, man, it's, it's creepy. 
you know, they they find him. He's naked. He's he's not talking. He's not verbal. He's just kind of screaming. And, you know, they take him back to an asylum, basically, to get him treated, to get... Apparently, he has had no food or water for five days that he's yeah. been missing. So they kind of get him back to health. And after he's out of the asylum and the hospital, they have a uh, kind of a welcome home party for him. And he wants, like, no part of it. His house is just full of people. And he has an episode where he starts having these flashbacks underneath the, the kitchen table. And that's where it really starts showing us, the audience, like, what the heck happened to him. And, yeah, you're right. He wakes up in this slimy pod... He breaks his way out of it, and he's just now floating. Like, maybe the, the ship is, like, in outer space at this point. And he sees just a bunch of other pods, and he can't... Because he's, like, floating, he can't get a grip on anything. He ends up falling through another pod, oh. and there's and there's a corpse in there, like a human corpse, like, just rotting away. Like half, you have decayed. Yeah, he's screaming. And finally, what I thought was so cool, and I didn't remember this part, he goes down to some other level of the ship, he finds the typical gray aliens, you know, the aliens with the big head and the big black eyes yeah. and the, uh, like, they're, you know, the gray. And he looks at them, and it turns out they're they're actually spacesuits. Space yeah. yeah. Which I thought was kind of cool. It's like, oh, well, these aliens, they all kind of have the same look to them in, in pop culture. And it turns out that's not really what they look like. That's just what their suits look like. I thought that was neat. But, yeah, as he's as he's looking and inspecting these spacesuits, one of them actually happens upon him and... Boy, they get his number. They drag. Oh him yeah, away. they start dragging him back, and then then you actually see it's only they're more humanoid than a normal alien would be. The, the flesh color. And... They look like bald little old hairless men with scowls on their face. They they don't look too happy. <laughs> yeah, no, and they must be powerful. Yeah, I mean they're dragging him like he's nothing. Oh yeah, and then they throw him on that table and they cover him in that like saran wrap. Yeah. Oh, it looked like a blank. It looked like a sheet at first because it was flowy. And then once it was on top of him, they did something to where then it became like skin tight like over his whole body. Just... Yeah. And it basically kept him from moving. Then they cut little slits over his mouth, a slit over his eye. And then this machine came down, hooked into his neck, hooked into his mouth. They shoved some slime in his mouth to keep him from screaming. And they put this tool in there. And then this other tool just went closer and closer, like with a needle into his eyeball. He's just screaming the entire time. Dude, this was like, I can't imagine seeing this as a kid. I'm sure I turned away. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, that, yeah, that was intense. And that, now I really know why I was terrified as a child. Yeah. <laughs> it explains a lot now, really, but. <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, that's it's nuts. And I personally, I don't remember how he got out. How did he get away? They don't really get into it in the movie. I, and I kind of forget, you know, what happens after this point, because when, as he's on that surgical table with these aliens, it sort of flashes white as he's going through that traumatizing thing. And it kind of goes back to the real world and kind of continues his story after the fact. And but then I know it jumps forward about like two and a half years, like just abruptly. Yeah, to kind of give like a, a cap on whatever whatever happens to these characters, I guess, just to kind of create an ending for a movie. Because this guy, you know, he just, in real life, this was kind of his story, and this was a book that he wrote, and the movie is based on the book that he wrote, his his account. And then, you know, as you do, you get abducted by aliens, you get dropped off, and your, you know, life goes on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, kind of. Yeah, no, actually, the the investigator never believed him. No. And he was like, I'll be back. Well, even the, the small time sheriff says, you know, is this your first unsolved? He said, no, this this will this will hash itself out. I'll be back. Yeah. James Garner's character. First, he believes it was a murder. And then after the guy shows back up the way he does, then he believes that these five guys were in on some sort of a hoax. And this was some sort of money making scheme. And uh, I guess he's not done with the case because he thinks he's going to get these guys on some kind of fraud charges or something. Yeah. 
And, well, we never see him again. And, like I said, it jumped to, uh, forward two and a half years. And, basically, Mike becomes a hermit. Moves yeah. off the grid. He gets a divorce. Uh, he doesn't see his kids. He moves away into, like, the middle of nowhere. Grows a big beard. He becomes a mountain man. And Travis, on the other hand, he ends up marrying Mike's sister. They have a couple of kids. He looks fairly stable. You know, he's clean cut. And, you know, one day he's heading to work and he sees something about a billboard with uh, advertising a motorcycle, I think. Yeah. And you can see the wheels turning. He's starting to think about this old MT Motors dream that he had with Mike a few years back before this all went down. And uh, he goes to Mike's house out in the middle of nowhere and convinces him to go with him. And they actually go back to the spot where uh, he was abducted. Yeah. And he's like, why'd you bring me back here? And he really never had a good answer for it. They just kind of wanted to get back there with him yeah, and just see the spot. And he kind of joked, he was, what if they come back? He said, I don't think they like me very much. <laughs> That's how the movie ends. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, yeah, you could tell that they went to the spot to kind of move on from it. It had traumatized both of them from different sides. I mean, of course, Travis being traumatized, but also those events traumatized Mike and kind of ruined his life, too. Yeah. Um, so for them to get past this as, and, and friends, um, uh, it was a good ending, man. I, I just, like I said, I love this story. I loved the fact that it was this kind of blend of a small town crime drama mixed with sci-fi horror and each part was done really well, dude. I, I dug this movie. Oh yeah. This would be something I'm not going to wait as long as I took me to see it again this time. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of revisit it, but, uh, this was, I mean, like you're saying, I can't believe it's, it's taking so long to watch it again. And I've definitely felt like it it held up. The acting, oh. the story, the actual like um practical effects that they did in it. Yeah. Everything felt like it's like, like a great movie still. Yep, absolutely. So uh two thumbs up, I think, from Dad and Rock. Two thumbs way up on that one. Chris and I are gonna take a short break. We'll be right back. Hi there, I'm Kyle Sutton. I'm Trisha Campbell. And we're the hosts of My Drunk Movie Theater. Join us every week as we go through the silly things that we wind up getting up to at our jobs working at a local multiplex. We also talk about all the current events that are happening in the movie world that affect us and affect you as the viewers. Trisha? We also get off topic quite a bit and we'll ramble, so there's that too. Yeah, well, you know, alcohol does that to you. So hit the subscribe button. You can follow, listen to us on iTunes, Spotify, almost anywhere that your podcasts are available. And we are back. Now, this one, uh, give you guys a little bit of inside baseball here. Um, we're going to have mixed emotions on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Chris and I are split on Candyman, Candyman, Candyman. Two more times. Come on. No, look in the mirror. I, I dare not. I dare not even get close. <laughs> yeah, this one was made in the same time frame. This was uh, the original one made back in 92. So both of our movies are basically a year apart. Candyman's a, a year older yep. than Fire in the Sky, but yeah, same time frame. Uh, you want to give a real quick rundown of uh, what this one's about? Yeah, this one stars uh, Tony Todd, infamously, uh, who, you know, I do like Tony Todd from other stuff. We've got Virginia Madsen, who's a great actress. She's been a ton of other stuff. Uh, but Candyman, a murderous soul with a hook for a hand, is accidentally summoned to reality by a skeptic grad student researching the monster's myth. Well, you couldn't even read that with a smile, could you? I heard <laughs> I heard the smile on your voice. <laughs> That's gritting teeth. <laughs> Oh, boy. So you didn't enjoy this one so much. Is that right, sir? No. A couple things. Like, I liked that they were trying to introduce, like, a slasher horror monster into this setting of, like, uh, like inner city setting. Because we've seen Michael Myers in the suburbs, right? We've mm-hmm. seen 
well, Freddy Krueger in the suburbs. And we've seen, you know, Jason Jason, Voorhees and campsites. And we've never gotten, like, the inner city, like, urban, you know, cities can be scary, dude. So to have their own their own myth, their own ghost, their own monster that they would be afraid of, uh, you know, they, they tried to put Jason in Manhattan. It didn't work out too well as a movie. <laughs> or space. Yeah, or space, <laughs> you know. Uh, you got to keep those guys, you know, where their their bread and butter is, right in the suburbs, killing them white white kids, <laughs> <laughs> just hiding behind bushes. Yeah, exactly. But uh, this was a different feel and take, which I actually did appreciate the uh, the attempt here. But I got to be honest, just as a movie, like I didn't get, I didn't get it. I thought I thought most of the movie was kind of a fever dream, especially in the middle of it, and we'll get into it, but. Yeah. Dude, I thought this movie hit on everything for me. When it comes to like storyline, when it comes to like uh, like slasher, yeah, you know, psychological. I, I thought, I mean, pretty much as a horror movie, I thought this was like was spot on. Now, some of it's a reach. I'll I'll agree. Uh, some of the things were were a little out there, but for this type of movie, I kind of suspend belief for. For some things. Yeah, that's for sure. I, I guess I was just frustrated where I never really understood the, the how and, and why of it all. They gave us a backstory of Candyman and who he was before he became this monster. And it never really kind of uh, matched up with what his modus operandi, what his MO seemed to be in the current day or how and why. And maybe that gets into more of the sequels. Maybe the sequels dive into the how and why of this slasher. Um, but for this first installment, it was mostly surrounded with Virginia Madsen's character and what she's going through. How I approached it was the reason he was going after her was because she didn't believe in his his legend. Yeah. And if she brought down the legend, she brought him down as well. Mm. And that's why he was attacking her so much and not anyone else. So there's been like a few things, like I said, for a few murders that took place, the boy that was in. Uh, the restroom outside. Yeah. Uh, the lady that was in that apartment. Right. So we know of two that happened during that time. Now, they didn't get into it on, uh, you know, really why or if they had any doubts either or something in those lines or if he just needed to have another victim to keep the, you know, the urban legend moving forward. But I thought the idea of her like going through and like researching everything, going into the apartment, going through the back of the medicine cabinet was a little odd on how that <laughs> yeah. opens into to another apartment. Right. That was a stretch. Uh, I think if they went as far as explaining maybe the land that this uh, was a Caprice Green or something like that was built on. Yeah. If it was built on the same land where he was murdered, maybe, I don't know if that's something they get into in the, in future movies. I mean, that's the only reason I can think he's at that location. Right. That would, you know, make it a little more plausible. Yeah, I guess um, kind of what I had a hard time with, too, is, you know, you get the motive behind a lot of these slashers. Um, like with go- the Ghostface Killer, the Scream guys, there's always some kind of backstory around Sydney and what happened in the past. And it was kind of a revenge tale. And then we have Freddy Krueger. You know, he was this he was a monster in real life. He was like this pedophile that uh, the townspeople decided to kill, take the law into their own hands, and he came back as, like, this demon to basically torture the kids of the the, the men and women that uh, killed him. And you've got Jason Voorhees, the whole backstory with his mother and killing these camp counselors and stuff because there were, you know, issues with his childhood. Michael Myers, you get the whole thing with uh, his family. And, you know, they, they basically say he's just evil incarnate and there's really no reason as to why he decides to kill his family. But you just kind of, you know, it's a simple premise. You kind of go with it. I, I just never, I couldn't get why Candyman was like killing folks 
in the inter- like it, some kind of power. I guess towards the end he gives a bit of a monologue. You never see him talk, kind of. It's always through this echoey like monologue yeah. that's like which I thought was cool. I thought it was also it was always cool in the very creepy way. Yeah, I didn't. <laughs> you didn't. Now I I went with it as like the urban legend thing. It's like he didn't need to have a reason to be you know doing what he was doing. And you know, urban legends happen for a reason. You flash headlights at somebody that don't have their headlights on. They turn around. They crash a car. They leave. Yeah. Uh, you know, just things down those lines. Now, was Candyman a thing before Candyman? This is kind of takes the Bloody Mary thing that we talked about in Paranormal 3, where you say the name in the mirror, you turn the light out or whatever. Yeah. And it's kind of that same thing. Do you remember kids talking about doing Candyman in the mirror before this movie came out? Honestly, man, I, I don't know. I mean, we were, what, 11? Yeah. Mid, 10, 11 when this came out? I think this so, was, like, wholly made up for the movie. The Candyman thing? Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't be shocked. I mean, like I said, if they're going to use the Bloody Mary thing and kind of just roll it into the Candyman, yeah. it's something that can be easily adapted into something else. Yeah. I, I did, you know, there was actually the first part of this movie where they were doing the investigative work and they were going through, like, that apartment building and you saw the gra- graffiti of, you know, sweets for the sweet or whatever. And I thought that there was going to be more explanation as to what they were actually doing. It looked like they were making offerings. You know, they, they the Virginia Madison, she found a pile of candy. One had a razor blade in it. Razor blade in it. And, but it's, we never get really get answers as to what the, all that was about or anything. There's a lot of, like, open, like, storylines within this first movie (laughs) yeah and as far as they really swung for the fences i'll give him that as far as you're kind of with this character you learn you know she's married to this college professor who's probably committing adultery right with one of his students they're probably about it yeah Yeah. (laughs) um she's partnering with this uh a friend of hers they're both research doing this research paper and you like her friend um you know they kind of get in hijinks together going you know into different dangerous parts of the city uh a couple parts of the city that a couple women probably shouldn't be doing on their own and and the, the the folks in that apartment building tell them as much like you guys shouldn't be here it's dangerous for you. And when they're investigating stuff, like I was with it. I was with it to the point until Candyman showed up in that parking garage and then like put her in a trance and then like had like these kind of like Dracula powers and everything became like loosey goosey and without really much rhyme or reason for me. And I couldn't understand like what he could do. They didn't seem to really establish rules. Like, what is he? What can he do? What are his powers? I don't know, man. Maybe you can explain it to me. <laughs> now, it felt like it was just more, like, so if someone else was standing next to her, they wouldn't have seen him. Yeah. It was all psychological. Yeah. So she's seen him, and then she was doing things thinking that it was him. So basically when she goes back and she's in that, you know, the projects, and the baby's gone, they think she did it because no one else is there. Or And, and all the videos, so all the videos, she's talking to somebody. So they think that she's going completely batty. Yeah. So I, I think it, it's all, basically, it's, like you are saying, like, almost like a fever dream. She's going, it's just going nuts, thinking she's seeing what she is actually investigating. And she's believing it so much that she's now seeing it and carrying out acts that, say, he would have done. Yeah, that's where I'm kind of confused. So let's go back to that first part, right? So she's in the parking garage. He puts her under a spell. She kind of passes out. Right. And when she wakes up, she's already in the midst of a bloody scene with like a cleaver right next to her. Like there's that dog's head chopped off. There's blood everywhere. She goes to the bedroom, just confused as all get out. She doesn't know what the heck's going on. The mother screaming about her baby. I I thought, honestly, I thought the baby was dead in that crib 
Yeah. I didn't even look because uh, yeah, it was just a pile of blood. But apparently the baby was fine and it was just missing. And the mother's just screaming, crying. The, the mother attacks Virginia Madsen's character. And you as a viewer, you just don't know what the hell's going on. Like, is this a nightmare? No. Is this a dream? Is this... No, it's reality. I didn't get if... Candyman actually did it and then just placed the meat cleaver next to her or put her under spells to where she actually committed all these crimes, but just doesn't remember doing it. I think pretty much the kind of, now I don't, I can't explain away the baby not being yeah. there, but I think it's pretty much she's com- basically doing all the crimes and she's thinking that he is, but no one else sees him kind of like the invisible man type setup. She's actually doing all the actual murders in this case. So she's killing everybody. Okay, but then later, when she's sitting down in front of that psychiatrist and she's strapped to that chair. That's where my explanation goes. Hey, yeah, man. like the he gets a hook through the torso and she's still strapped to that chair and then he undoes the. So it's like if there was a camera in that room, what would it see? Would it see the straps coming undone by themselves or would it see her in a trance undoing the straps and killing him? Like that's where I was just confused by this thing. I, I, I didn't get the rules <laughs> of what was happening. I couldn't believe my own eyes. I don't eyes. feel like there was a whole lot of rules in it. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I mean, and then my biggest issue, I mean, I'm going to fast forward a little bit here, was really the ending. Okay. She's climbing into that big wood pile outside because she hears... Baby crying. You know, the yeah. baby. And what does she do? She picks up one of the hooks. And then uh, we didn't even talk about uh, the, the boy. Uh, we didn't talk about Jake. And he said, Candyman's here. And everyone comes outside and they start throwing gasoline on this, you know, pile of junk. Right. And they light it up. And that's when the Candyman thinks that he's going to win and get both Helen and the baby. And she gets out. He burns and turns into a bunch of bees. Uh-huh. And like, okay, how how is this like like ghost entity type thing dying in a fire? Right. Once again, what and are the rules cl- here? Is he is he yeah. a man? Is he a ghost? <laughs> yeah. And then she climbs out and she's burnt. She saves the baby. And then she winds up dying. Right. And she becomes her own urban legend. She becomes her, like her own version of the Candyman. Yeah. And I think essentially that's what the Candyman wanted. The Candyman wanted to be him and her to be the urban legend together. Okay. So in essence, he got what he wanted in the movie, but he was in this movie was destroyed. Yeah. And that's, that's where I get all like spacey. Like, okay, what is she the new Candyman? Or do you say Helen in the mirror four or five times and she shows up? Well, that's what her or, ex-husband did. Yeah. And then he, yeah, she gutted him and, you know, his uh, grad student found him in the bathroom. Yeah. And she was the one left holding the butcher knife in her hand, screaming. Yeah. So now they think she killed him. Yeah. So the, the, so the cycle just started all over again. Yeah. So, I mean, she got her revenge. I, I kind of got that. And that was, that was kind of, I guess that was my main gripe about this whole movie is like, I see what they were going for, but the execution just wasn't, I, I normally don't normally need to have a movie hold my hand through stuff like this and really explain it to me. But there are just certain parts about the intention of things where I just, I, I couldn't follow it. And it just, the movie just kept on going, whether I was <laughs> with it or not. <laughs> <laughs> now, seeing this one already now, will you give the remake a, a shot? A remake. That's a tough call because I feel like in order to enjoy the remake, I would kind of have to know about the original series. I. It really just depends on how the remake is done. If they kind of throw the entire former franchise out the window and start anew, I might like that. But then at the same time, I would feel like I would be missing something like, well, what's a reference to that old series? You know, what's yeah, I I don't know. That's tough to say. It's almost like I think they can redo the first one and just kind of tighten it up. Yes. And give some parameters. Right. And if they did that, I think you'd enjoy it more. I thought it was phenomenal. I enjoyed it. I, I, I suspended all the belief I needed to. Yeah. 
And like we were saying in other movies where I was like watching with my phone in my hand, my phone was on my end table. I had my laptop up so I can do some, you know, bullet points in the movie. Right. But I was locked on the screen for pretty much the entirety of the movie. I mean, I wasn't bored at any point, but I was mostly just uh, I having a tough time of figuring out all the characters' intentions and motive and what I was even seeing. Like I said, there were some times where I was like, is this a dream? Is this reality? And if this is reality, like, how did we get here? Where are we going from here? I don't know. I, I Like you said, I feel like if there's a remake going on here, there's a way that you can hit a home run with a ghost story in, like, the, uh, you know, the inner city. Like, this setting where you've already got high crime rates. You've got people kind of living on the edge as it is, always scared of the police or the crime that's going on around them, just trying to get by. To live with all that stress and then have the stress of a, of a ghost or an urban legend or a monster out in your neighborhood on top of that, I think that's like prime for a cool movie. So, you know, I, maybe I just convinced myself that I will check out the remake. <laughs> well, this movie was only like an hour and 28 minutes. Yeah. So nowadays, that an hour and 28 minutes will never fly. It's going to be a two-hour movie. So they're going to give themselves at least 30 more minutes probably of time to be able to put those, you know, like same parameters on things, explain some things. Yeah. Give us a little bit of back, more backstory of the Candyman. Why is he in this location? Uh, why do they fear him so much? You right. know, uh, all of that stuff that we were kind of missing from this one. And uh, I, th- I think they can do a lot better. You know what? I didn't think that I was going to be interested in seeing, you know, the remake. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I forgot how much I enjoyed this. I've only seen this a few times and I've seen it on sci-fi both times. <laughs> oh, wow. So it was, it was heavily edited, I'm sure. Did you see any of the sequels? Uh, I have not seen any of the sequels. Okay, I, I haven't really dove into those. So I mean, they were they were enjoyable. So I, I think I would absolutely give the the remake a chance. Now, when I heard they were making it, I wasn't super excited about it. Yeah, but now that we watch this, I I think I would absolutely go see it. Yeah, well, you're not a fan of remakes in general. We already learned that in this series. <laughs> <laughs> so the fact that I'm I'm willing to give it a shot, I think says uh says volumes about this movie for me. That says a lot. Yeah. So, I mean, what do you think? We're we going to go ahead and jump in that spaceship and crash right into that cheesy moon and you know, miss everything else? <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, let's get abducted. <laughs> crash into the cheesy moon that's not made of cheese. <laughs> I think you've already done a cheesy moon before. Oh, well. Let's go ahead and jump into that pickup truck and roll down that hill like a cheese wheel. As cheesy as we can get. <laughs> Are you ready, sir? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, well, I've got one here for you. So, what can you catch from a vampire in the winter? Oh, uh, what can you catch from a vampire in the winter? I don't know. Frostbite. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you even tried to give your best Transylvanian uh, accent there, I try, too. I tried to sell that one. <laughs> wow, Frostbite. <laughs> that was a good one. Watching too much Hotel Transylvania. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I've got one for you. It's all right. It's bad. All right. Are you ready? <laughs> I'm already laughing. I'm screwed. Okay. <laughs> what happens when a witch's shoes are on too tight? No idea. She gets candy corns. <laughs> Why am I laughing? <laughs> They're terrible candies. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like corn on your feet. Oh, yeah, no, I completely understood. And I shouldn't have laughed at all. <laughs> Oh, you laughed because it was a good one. I was already going and I couldn't stop when you said candy corns and. <laughs> oh, man. 
There you go. Okay. So uh, we have a show now on YouTube, streaming live, 1030 on Friday evenings. Uh, you can catch us on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter uh, for right now uh, called Dad and Rock High Voltage. Right now, we're pretty much talking about anything and everything. We're kind of working out the kings, having a good time on it. But come the 30th, we'll be talking about a specific show. What would that be, Sean? The Mandalorian Season 2 coming out October 30th, Disney+. Plus. It's going to be a week-to-week scheduled release, uh, which you and I, I think, prefer as opposed to like Netflix model just dumping them all at once. It gives us an opportunity to do what we're going to do. Yeah. If it was all at once, we wouldn't have that opportunity. So join us on Dad and Rock High Voltage. It's our live video version of the podcast, basically. Uh, like Chris mentioned, we this past week we were on... Facebook Live, YouTube, Periscope on Twitter. Uh, Unfortunately, we were doing some trailer reviews. CBS All Access decided our review of The Stand (laughs) wasn't for us to show, basically. So they took it off YouTube. They took it off Facebook. But you can still catch it on Twitter. So go go look at it if you're interested. Yeah, go to Twitter, check it out, and then find out for yourself. And actually, you know what, guys? I went ahead and disputed it. I said, give me my video back. (laughs) Fair use, buddy. Yes. I mean, you know, they should be happy that we're sharing material about their stupid show. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, giving giving them that dad and rock clout. But anyway, we we did. We reviewed a trailer for Disney Pixar's Soul, and we also viewed a trailer for Stephen King's The Stand coming to CBS All Access this December. Speaking of Stephen King, we are wrapping up our Thrills and Chills Month next week. We're gonna have a Stephen King week, aren't we? Oh yeah, going to one that uh, I haven't seen in a long time, and I'm looking forward to watching. Uh, Children of the Corn. Yes. And then one I have yet to see, so I'm pumped about this one. Dr. Sleep. Yeah, the sequel to The Shining. So uh, that was on my radar to watch a long time ago, and I just haven't gotten around to it. Yeah. So this is going to give me a reason to sit down with some popcorn and enjoy a new movie. Yeah, it's Stephen King week on the Thrills and Chills month. Uh, we're wrapping up our review of Scary Movies uh, next episode on the Dad and Rock podcast. Uh, but join us for High Voltage. Join us on our website, dadandrock.com. Find past episodes, get links to our social media pages, and check us out. Okay, well, that's a good spot, as ever, to go ahead and say that Dad and Rock podcast is signing off for the evening. Uh, good night, everyone. Be my victim. Ha, 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 ha.